Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Marnie Swedberg, and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now, I encourage you to sit back, buckle up, and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking, the kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Marnie's Friends. It is a great pleasure to be with you this afternoon, and I hope you are having a great day. I was just telling Greg before we came online that it is turning all beautiful colors here in northern Minnesota, and I don't know how fall is in your neck of the woods, but up here it is glorious, so we are having a beautiful day, and I hope your day is great. Even if outside you're not seeing beautiful colors and sunshine, maybe inside you are. And today we are going to have a wonderful hour learning about advice for authors. Our guest today is literary agent Greg Johnson. He's going to be sharing with us during this hour why people buy books. I mean, really, why do they buy books? And what you must do to ensure that yours will sell. He's going to share with us the five key author credentials that you must have in place before you submit your book proposal the five components of a stellar submission, what to look for and how to find the right agent for your book, the responsibilities of the author, the agent, and the publisher, and what to really expect in the publishing process. Our guest today, literary agent Greg Johnson, has been shepherding new and established authors for nearly 20 years, representing more than 2,300 books, negotiating 1,700 literary contracts, with more than 85 different publishers. His goal is to provide authors the broadcast impact possible for their writing life, and he's here with us today from WordServeLiterary.com. Welcome to you, Greg. Well, it's good to be here, Marnie. Well, I'm excited. I've been looking forward to this for a long time, and it's going to be fun to hear your perspective, because uh, as authors, as writers, as people who maybe already are published, but some people listening aren't published, some people haven't even started a book, others have a manuscript ready to go, we just really need to hear from your perspective as a literary agent, what are you looking for? What really turns your crank? What, what do you need in an author in order for you to be successful, for you to even consider looking at our stuff? And uh, I loved it when you pitched me back what you wanted to share with us today. Your first point was why people buy books, and I think that's a great place to start and kind of an interesting place to start. That's amazing. I will ask people out there, why do they think people buy books? And people will usually get two or three of them, but not all five. Um, you know, the five main reasons why people buy books are, first of all, reference. They're trying to find information about, you know, what to expect when they're expecting or some Bible product or uh, commentary or whatever they're looking for. Second is gifts. Uh, it's amazing how many gift uh, books are bought each year. Do you or your audience? Uh, well, we're not live on the, or we're not uh, calling, but uh, do you know what the best uh, gift buying season is for books? What would you say? I'm guessing Christmas, but probably not. <laughs> it's graduation. Uh, graduation is the biggest gift-buying gift and, and gift-giving season there is. So that's another reason why people buy books. Uh, entertainment, this would be fiction. So if you're a novelist, you're writing to entertain. Uh, if you're telling your story, a memoir of some sort, perhaps that's going to be entertaining. And then fourth, and my favorite, is decoration. Uh, yes, <laughs> people are buying books all the time, coffee table books books at antique stores or estate sales or wherever uh, uh, to decorate their house. And the fifth, and this would be pretty firm with most people writing nonfiction, is felt need. And oftentimes people want to write a book that is a nice-to-read book. You know, it's a book about, um, uh, well, I can't think of one right now, naturally, uh, but the What's selling these days and what I can sell only really is must-have books. And so if you're writing on a, on a nonfiction topic, it's really got to be a must-read, at least by a broad uh, audience out there. Define for me a must-read book um, compared to just a good book. Well, a must-read book would be, uh, again, has a, have a high felt need. If, if you looked on any of those uh, choice book racks, for example, 
um, they've sort of replaced the bookstore. When I first started as an agent, there were 6,500 Christian bookstores. Now there's about 1,100. But there are wow. 11,000 11, of those choice book living racks, choice uh. living rack book racks. Uh, in airports and, you know, smaller bookstores and uh, car dealerships, you know, wherever they can sell them, they're going to sell them. And if you look at those titles, uh, most of those are impulse by high felt need, uh, dads and daughters, uh, uh, what your son isn't telling you, um, uh, devotions for moms uh, who don't have time or, you know, whatever that might be. It, It would be something that says, okay, I know who the audience is, and I know what the felt need is. And so many books these days uh, have to have that type of title with it. You know, uh, gone are the days, mostly, where you can title something like Blue Like Jazz and expect to sell a million copies because it doesn't right. identify the audience or the felt need. Uh, naturally, it's a great book, and there are obvious exceptions to the rule across the board. But most people, when they're looking for a book about... Um, you know, what they expect when they're expecting, uh, that defines the felt need and the market in the title. And all of a sudden, you've got 20, 25 million copies sold. Um, so that that becomes the must-read book, uh, High Felt Need, and it identifies the market at the same time. Interesting. Now, uh, I'm curious because we own a, one of those probably 1,100 Christian bookstores left. <laughs> we uh-huh. own one of them. And what we see is that people are still buying books. It's not that people aren't buying books. They just aren't buying paperback and hardcover books like they used to. Now they're buying Kindles and e-books. Right. Absolutely. That's kind of taken over. Uh, I don't know what the percentage of books uh, sold are. I think novels uh, in the Christian market especially, they're probably in the 25% range as far as total amount of books sold. That will likely go to 50% would be my guess and level off there. I think it will take five years to get there. In the general market, it's sort of already there. I think novels especially are in the 40% range, and if it's uh, uh, women's romance, it's probably much higher than that because it's like popcorn people. That's how they're buying their books. So it's really taken over what used to be the mass market books, uh, those small little paperbacks you buy for $5.99, which are probably $7.99 now. People are just buying those and putting them on their Kindles, and Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of what's happened to the industry. They're still reading; they're just reading differently. Right now, as a book as a book agent, uh, do you handle books that are going to be predominantly served up to clients as eBooks, or only books that are still in uh, paperback and hardcover? Well, everything. Um, Everything. Mm Yeah, we, we every every agent needs to sort of do everything. It's it's not easy uh, these days. Just like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, it's changing we have to the all wear a lot of hats. <laughs> yeah, and we're all working harder for less money, and that's just right. the way of the world. Um, so, and most publishers, they're not they're not just buying print rights; they're buying print and ebook. Um, sure. We're doing some ebook only deals with print on demand, uh, with some novelists here and there. Uh, but that's rare. That may happen more and more, I think, as publishers see, okay, we're having a hard time breaking an author out. You know, we sort of like their platform, et cetera. Um, let's take a chance and just help them out and get at least on ebook for them. Yeah. Now, speaking about platform, uh, the next thing we wanted to talk about here was the five key author credentials that you must have in place before you submit your book proposal, and really what you're talking about is platform. Well, that's certainly one of the big ones, especially if you're writing nonfiction, and even fiction in many ways. Uh, publishing is a partnership, and I'd say no more so now than ever. Uh, they, they absolutely must have authors out there who are willing to do all they can to spread the word about their book. And, you know, currently that means good blog numbers. If you're a Jen Hatmaker or a, uh, Ann Voskamp or one of these authors with hundreds of thousands of blog followers, you know, publishers are going to come knock, and, and they're really interested in that. My discovery has been, though, that if you have maybe a thousand blog followers, you know, pretty, you know, pretty much a thousand readers of anything you put out there, that's kind of a tipping point in publishers' minds out there. Um, my wife just uh, published a book. She's a writer, and she wrote with her daughter. And actually, her blog numbers were were just about three or four hundred when we signed a contract. But the idea was so fresh. Their blog is called We Laugh, We Cry, We Cook. 
And that was the na- that was the name of the book. Nice, yeah. Kind of a mother daughter food memoir together with lots of recipes and you know just lots of back and cool. forth and funny and and all that. Um, and and it's done you know it's just been out since August and it's done fine. Uh, but that kind of broke the mold in some ways. The idea was fresh enough, and the author there was two authors, and they were fun and funny, and they knew they were going to be promotable. And Zondervan took a chance, and and uh, hopefully we won't disappoint them. So yeah. yes, platform right. <laughs> platform is gigantic. And then you know the Twitter and Facebook. I think that's still the jury's still out. I, you know, if you had fifty thousand Facebook fans, certainly that's going to mean something. But if you've got five hundred Facebook friends, um, that may ne- mean nothing. Um, so I think blog numbers uh, are the biggest thing. And then, of course, if you're speaking or if you're on the radio or if you, you know, you're you a regular contributor to the Huffington Post or some other big blog. Take us, uh, take us back to the top of this, Greg, and go through one by one. So let's say the five key author credentials. Number one, would, would that be the blog numbers? That goes into the platform. Um, yes, I would say overall you've got to have some sort of strong regional platform. Um, that's what that's what publishers are looking for, especially in nonfiction. Now, if you're a novelist, of course, finding a way uh, to find readers is essential yourself. And many novelists have their own blog, and they've got lots of blog followers. And um, so, the second thing I would say is you've got to have some skill in writing. And this is the hard part of it all. Uh, publishers are being very picky, as they should be on the types of books that they're doing. I would say when I first started, you could write about almost anything, and if you, uh, you know, if it was a good enough topic, a publisher could sell two or three copies into each store, and there you have, you know, almost fifteen or 20,000 copies. Um, now these days, two or three copies into every store is two or 3,000 copies, and not you're not going to cut it. <laughs> you're not going to cut it. Nobody can, nobody can stay in business doing that. Interesting. Um, so they're really looking for authors who have the writing craft and the skill. Um, you know, a good example, I don't know if you've read Julie Cantrell's book, Into the Free. Um, she's a novelist, and that was her first novel, and it just won Christian Book of the Year at the recent Christie's. And it was her first novel, and she didn't have a huge platform, but it was such a fabulously written book. You know, it got a starred review in PW, and then it went on the New York Times bestseller list, USA Today list, and... Um, her second book is just out, and it's just, you know, it's because the craft is so fabulous. And so if you can't write and if the story doesn't carry the day or if you're writing too small of a topic, oftentimes authors will make the mistake about writing sort of a niche devotional. Uh, they want to write to, you know, mothers of grade school kids or cancer survivors, and that's a bad place to start a writing career. Um, anyway. Let's um let's just camp there for just a moment because if you're listening and you just finished your manuscript for the <laughs> the devotionals for mothers for preschool kids, you're not yeah. saying that there's no place in the world for you. What you're saying is that you're going to have a hard time getting published by a big publisher. Well, yes, in that category especially because devotionals typically carry the day when they're written by a big name. That's not always the case. There's always exceptions to the rule and and authors course want to be that exception in the things that they do but if if they're doing a smaller market book they better have you know a gigantic readership to help the publisher find readers because that's the dilemma in all of publishing you know with the amount of bookstores um becoming less and less and of course borders going out of business and and then you right. don't know what's going to happen with barnes and noble i was with the publisher last week and he put his thumb and forefinger together and he says yep if if Barnes and Noble can hang on like they're barely hanging on, um, you know, if that goes, all the general market pretty much goes. Uh, I don't think it'll go completely, but I could see, I could see them selling off a lot of stores and closing lots more, just like Borders did, because you can't have unprofitable stores. You can't. That's and, right. You can't. And that's, and that's certainly what's happened in the Christian market that we've seen over the years. It's just that stores can't stay in business. Listeners, I want to remind you that this getting a book published through an agent or through a large publisher is one of the ways that you can publish a book now. You can publish it yourself. You can there's lots of small book publishing companies that work with very specific niches. Don't don't give up. If you're listening and you're like, "Oh, I'm not that person." <laughs> it's okay. This just isn't your segment. It's okay. 
listen through the rest of this because everything that Greg says is going to help you be a better author, a better promoter of your own book, whatever it is, when it comes out. But don't give up and go over to Marnie.com in the writing section and you'll find good writing there for how to publish your own ebook or how to find a publisher if you have a niche topic there. So number one, we have platform. Number two, we have writing skills. What's our three credential that we have to have as a possible writer for a big company or a big publishing house? Well, it, I just did a seminar called Getting an Agent to Wow, and and <laughs> really what you have to do is tell me how much time you've spent on this book. I really want to know that if it's a novel, say, for example, it's a novel, that you've been through probably five drafts and that maybe right. 10 or 20 people have read it that aren't your friends and relatives, <laughs> that, you, that you've been yeah. to writers' conferences and maybe you've read – uh, a few books on writing fiction. And then you've taken the next step and you've actually read several books on selling your book through the Internet, you know, online marketing for dummies or whatever it might be. Uh, there's a ton of books on how to market your books online. And just reading through those books and adding that to your proposal. Um, you know, the the proposal portion, of course, is what I need to see because it's a business plan that's going to show me and the publisher how you're going to help them make money and stay in business and move books. Because uh, a book is a product. It's an intellectual property with royalty-bearing potential, and it has to be treated like that. So a publisher is going to invest anywhere between you know, fifteen dollars and $30,000 just in the production of your book. They've got to sell a lot of books to earn that back. How are you going to help them do that? Well, the proposal is your business plan to show them how. It shows them who you are and what your markets are and who your followers are. And, and uh, uh, we pretty much have to put a number on almost everything. If you spoke 12 times last year, tell me exactly who you spoke to and how many people you spoke in front of. And it really has to be that detailed. Now, uh, when you're talking about this time invested in the proposal, the wow me, are you talking about the submission itself? Yes, the submission. Okay. You know, and obviously, if you're a novelist, you can't really submit to an agent or a publisher until you have your first novel done. So it's yeah. got to be completed. Any, everybody's got good ideas. It's can you finish and and get that person to the end of the book, saying, "Wow, what a great book! I can't wait for their next one, and I can't wait to tell right. my best friend about this one." Uh, that's what sells books. I'm going to have us come right back in a minute, and we're going to clarify that between what's a proposal, what's a submission, and then we're going to talk about the other key credentials for authors and how to do a stellar submission. We will be right back. The fastest and easiest way to find out which major women's events are coming to your area is to visit www.womensevents.info. That's women's events. .info. It's the only directory of its kind, and it features all of the major events like Women of Faith, Beth Moore, E-Conference Women, and so many others. It's free to search, and you can find it all at womensevents.info. Welcome back. This is Marnie Swedberg. So excited to have you with us this afternoon at Marnie's Friends. And we have a wonderful guest today, Greg Johnson. He's a literary agent, and he's teaching us about what we need to do to prepare to submit to a, um, submit a manuscript or a proposal to an agent, as well as what we need to expect, maybe what we need to look for when we're looking for an agent. We're going to go back right now and just distinguish between two things, a submission and a proposal. Maybe just real briefly, Greg, tell us the difference. Well, a proposal is that business plan, and uh, it's, it's everything about your book and about you and about the market and about the competition uh, that's already out there. And competition is a bad, isn't a bad thing. Competition may mean there's a huge market for your book. Just because there's ten books on the same subject doesn't mean it's been overdone. It just means people are interested in the topic as well. So all of those things combined um, is essential uh, to put that together. And then um, the submission portion uh, is is similar in the sense that you kind of have to have your act together. Uh, you have to have it all together, and it's anywhere between a, you know, a 30 and a 70-page document, you know, double-spaced or single-spaced here and there, uh, about your topic and everything else, and it answers all the questions. Um, there's several sites out there uh, that will allow you to download sort of a fill-in-the-blank proposal template. I know we offer that from our agency if somebody requests one. 
in you know fiction or nonfiction or children's or general market, we will send them our template, and it's really fill in the blank. In fact, there's even explanations on what to put in there. Um, so that's part of the submission process. Then is um, making sure you've answered all the questions in that proposal. So I, does that answer the question, or it does? And you guys, um, what the agency that uh, Greg is with is Word Serve literary dot com that's word serve literary dot com and so if you uh, go over there you can find that template then there so let's go back then and complete now we've got um three credentials author credentials uh, a platform some writing skills and some t- uh, some wow me stuff uh, stuff that's going to show you that uh, we've done our homework we've really we're really the person to write this book well let's let's take nonfiction for example so if you want to write a book on um, finding your voice in the marriage or something like that. You probably have to be a counselor with some degrees behind your name. Uh, anything psychological, oftentimes, or counseling-oriented or relationship-oriented, publishers are looking for somebody with degrees. Um, so that's important. And then one of the things, uh, credentials-wise, uh, is how well read you are on a topic. Uh, one of my authors is Ethel Dixon, and he's won the Christie Award in fiction, uh, mystery, or suspense, oh, three or four times. And when his first novel came in to me t- almost 18 years ago, uh, it was a murder mystery with a Christian theme to it and fabulously written. Uh, but I asked him, I said, man, this is really a tight manuscript. You really thought things through. And he says, well, that's because I read a thousand murder mysteries. Before oh, I wrote yeah. yeah, and he read in in the Christian market as well as the general market, and so his credentials came through strong. If somebody tells me, you know, I'm writing historical uh, romance in the Civil War period, and I've read fifty to a hundred books in that category, and here's some of the authors I've read, well, now you've got my attention. You're getting me to wow, and that shows me you've got some credential. You you care about this topic, and so that that's really one of the big aspects of it as well. And then uh, I think being focused on a career in a certain category would be another huge credential. So many authors come my way and they've got a devotional and they're writing a kid's fiction and they want to do contemporary and then, oh yeah, I've got this book on you know uh, laughing and spirituality. What they're telling me is they don't know who they want to be when they grow up. Uh, in the old days, an author could write through tons of different categories. These days, agents and publishers want to know that an author is totally focused in a certain genre, and they want to be the best they can be in that genre. So that's one of the things that I, I tell authors so often, and nobody seems to get it, is that you've got to pick a genre, and it's got to be a recognizable genre. And so you want to show me your credentials, show me a recognizable genre. Don't tell me you're doing end times historical or, you know, mystery with a sci-fi twist and and a little bit of romance for, uh, you know, the YA audience. That's not, I can't find that anywhere in a bookstore. Go online at barnesandnoble.com or go to a bookstore, uh, go to cbd.com, which is Christian Book Distributors, and look at all the categories. And everything must have a category. Otherwise, retail doesn't know where to stock it. You know that, Marnie. Right. Um, you've, you've got to know where to put a book, and that means you've got to pick a genre, and it has to be a recognizable genre. It can't be a, an amalgam of two or three things. And and uh, unfortunately, so many authors, and they're usually new novelists or, or new authors, and they say, well, I'm looking for an agent to think outside the box because I've written this, you know, this right. book about in this genre that nobody would ever buy it in. And I want to be the exception to every rule. <laughs> right. And I can't help them. I said, you know, pick a genre, make sure it's recognizable, come back to me when you've done that. Uh, I'd love to think outside the box and, you know, maybe one book in 5,000 gets that privilege. But, you know, retail, uh, online, and in brick and mortar, they need to know where to put the book, and so we have to tell them, and it better be right. You guys, I want to give you an example from my bookstore because I didn't ever know this. Even as an author, I didn't know this until I owned a bookstore, and now I know this. But on the back of every book, so grab a book that's close to you, and on the back of every book down right by somewhere around where the um, uh, ISBN number is, 
the barcode, you'll see three or four different words. So I've got one in front of me that is um, memoirs, journal writing, and family and children. And I've got one in front of me that is Christian life, inspiration, worship, and devotion. So what happens is when these books come into our store then, we know exactly where to put them. We we don't have to guess. We don't have to, you know, look at an invoice. It just says right on the book. And if it has a category that doesn't exist in the list of categories that bookstores set out, what Greg is telling you is he can't really pitch you. He can't pitch you to publishers because they don't want your book. <laughs> they want a book mm-hmm. they can sell. So somebody like me who has to find a place on my shelf where I not only can the customer find it, but actually we can find it. We know where to put it, and when they come in, we can help them find it. It's it's a lot of books to keep track of, and we don't do the Dewey Decimal System or anything. You know, we just go by the category and the last name of the author. That's how we that's how we shelve them. So if you don't help us, he can't help you. Okay, let's go to number five. Well, that was number five. I was focused on. Uh... Uh, what was the one right before that? I missed. I missed the category. Oh boy, I, I'm sorry. You've lost me. Okay, I've, I've we lost did. Uh, we did platform. We did platform. We did writing skills. We did wow me, yeah. and then I got focused on a career. So I missed something in the middle. Uh, nope. Oh, have that. Have a genre. Oh, genre. Okay, specific genre. Yeah. Very good. Okay, sorry. very good. Let's go on to <laughs> the five components of a stellar submission. Okay, well, this is all has to do with the proposal that you send in. Uh, first of all, you've got to have that letter perfect. I, I really don't want to see any spelling errors, and you've got to answer all the questions there. I can't tell you how many proposals I get that uh, authors are, frankly, either too lazy or they didn't do their homework uh, on answering all of the questions that, and really doing a good job answering. And typically what they skimp on is the competition or comparables. Uh, you know, they, they'll say something like, you know, there's nothing like my book out there. It's the only one available. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, that's just not true. And so, Even Solomon uh, said way back then, there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> right. And so usually as soon as I read something like that, it's just, okay, this author hasn't done their homework. Why should I invest any more right, time I'm busy. Right. <laughs> in this proposal? Yeah. So they've yeah. really got to answer all the questions about you know who they are as a writer and their credentials and why they're qualified to write this and their outline and uh, – uh, you know, the target market, kind of the one-sentence description. And, again, there's whole books on how to write a great book proposal. And uh, I'd recommend you, you know, any new author read one or more of them. Second thing is a great query. I get 100 queries a week, Hmm. every week, 52 weeks a year. And then after Christmas, after people have had time, they've spent time at home, I probably will get a couple hundred <laughs> uh, just because they're all so busy uh, or also they have all this free time. And during the summertime, I get buried. Of course, those are the two times that I'm not looking at queries quite as often. But um, write me a great query. Tell me who you are, what the book is about, uh, what you've done uh, to help you know your own career and, and uh, who's looked at the book and, um, and a little bit of the storyline and uh, – and then how I can get in contact with you. Really a great query letter, again, without any typos in it. And then um, know me as an agent. There's a, When I started, I was uh, the fifth agent serving Christian authors. Now there's uh, about 100. Oh, wow. And so there's a lot of agents out there. We're all not the same. I mean, some of us, some don't take memoir a lot, don't take fiction. Uh, some are just looking for big-shot pastors to try to represent Others are happy to do quirky memoir. Uh, our agency does a lot of memoir, um, as long as it's wonderfully written and and on a broad topic. Uh, we're happy to to look at that, and we sell quite a bit of that. And so, find out. You know, there's several agencies I could tell you that don't have a website. Uh, that means they don't want to hear from you. Uh, uh, those that do usually have submission guidelines. I know several agencies are closed to queries unless it comes through one of their clients. Um, we're not there yet. We, I've got a couple agents that have just been with me a year or two, and so they're still looking to build their list. Um, so definitely go on an agent's website. Um, you know, another stellar point, and people don't get this. I can't tell you how often it is. I, I get an email, and they've listed 20 different agents in the two line. And so what they tell me is, I'm, oh, I don't want. Yeah. I, I don't know if I want to dance with you. I don't want to take the effort to find out whether you're the right person for this. I just want 
to send one letter to 20 people and hope that they something sticks. Well, those are the ones I delete. I mean, I just delete them. I'm not going to – you can send it to 20 people. Just don't tell me about it. <laughs> um, find ways if, to serve people for free. And this is where the blog comes in. Uh, if you're doing a devotional for you know unwed mothers or if you've got uh, an expertise in some medical field or legal field, one of my authors is Jordan Redwood, and she writes um, medical suspense novels with a hint of romance. And so she's an ER nurse. Uh, pediatric ER nurse, so she knows a ton about medical stuff. So she writes a little blog called Redwood's Medical Edge, and it serves different readers and lots of authors for free about uh, how to make sure that they, if they're going to write something medical and how somebody dies or gets hurt or something like that, they at least better do it right. And so find ways to serve people for free. Um, and then finally, uh, and then like I said before, and I really want to hear this more and more, is that I'm not a one-book wonder. I really have a career. I want to write historical fiction uh, in the Regency period, and I've got a Pinterest page that has all these different things. It tells me you're sort of a fanatic about what you're writing about, and that gets my attention. And with 100 queries a week, you know, I will open, you know, five to ten of those because uh, the rest I can tell are not something I can really help people with. Let's pause right there now and and you guys, I just want you to hear the heart of this because that just sounds so harsh. And, and so does, many of the I'm things sorry. actually that you said sound harsh, but I totally <laughs> get it, and I want all these listeners to get it. Um, as the show host of Marnie's Friends, we get queries here too, people who want to be on the show. And sometimes we get what you're talking about, Greg, the batch query, where it's just we're going to shoot this out to 1,000 radio shows or 150 radio shows all at once, my name's in with a whole bunch of other people. We really don't care where we get on. We really don't care what you talk about or how you do it. We don't even know if you interview people. But, you know, you have a radio show, so therefore <laughs> I might be a candidate. What does that actually do to your heart, uh, Greg, when you get one of those? What, what, why do you delete it? Well, um, oftentimes then I can just tell this is somebody trying to take the shortcut. And one of the big things I tell authors is that you've got to take the long cut. Uh, you just if you think you can just save time and everybody's pressed for time and especially if you have a full-time career and you're just writing as a hobby or on the side it's really tougher to make that you know I looked at your website Greg I feel like this would be a great fit for you and the type of authors you represent and so here's my pitch I mean that gets my attention uh, but if it says dear agent or dear editor that's even worse all the times I'll yeah <laughs> Uh, you know, everything that you've been saying is right along that exact line because you've repeated a couple times now. You want it perfect. You don't want typos. You want it perfect. Once again, you're saying, I'm looking for the person who isn't just schlucking something together and expecting the agent or the publisher to do all the work. You're looking actually for the person who's willing to do all the work that they should be doing and then partner with other people who can take them to the next level. And it's such a big difference from someone who's just looking for somebody to do all the work for them. Well, and that is absolutely true, Marnie. I mean, we, we just get that all the time. And, and that's sometimes that's just part of the process. They'll get, you know, no response from people, and they'll wonder what went wrong, and they'll finally get in and do some research, and they'll say, oh, I should have done this. And then they'll take it to the next level and you know, getting a book from idea to publication oftentimes is anywhere from a two- to five-year process. It depends on how skillful you are as a writer or how big your platform is. Oftentimes we will get books in the door that we really like, but the author's platform isn't there, so we'll give them instructions on what to do for the next year to build their platform, and then we'll submit their proposal in a year. And because uh, we know we're going to get notes. I mean, I met with uh, several publishers from the Baker Bookhouse uh, today here in Denver. And, uh, you know, they get pitched by a million different agents and and tons of different projects. Everything has got to be letter perfect, and it really has to zing all the way across the board. I want to go back to another thing you said. You said that you get 100 in, you maybe look at 10. I want you to tell me both how you rule out the 90 
And I wanted you to tell me how after you look at the ten, you pick maybe one to set to the side and think about. Well, that's instincts. I mean, um, after 20 years and seeing thousands upon thousands of queries and proposals and then talking to editors and knowing what they're looking for and kind of studying what the market is, you know, what they're buying at the time, most of that is just instinct. I, I can. It's like looking at the first paragraph of a novel. Oftentimes that, <clears throat> excuse me, is all it will take for me to say not for me. Um, you know, I will... I will get queries and say, you know, my novel starts out kind of slow, but I'm told that about page 50 it really picks up and doesn't let go of you till the very end. Well, no, I need to be grabbed hold of by the throat and not let go of from the first paragraph. And if you can't do it from there, you're not going to be able to uh, do that for another reader. They're going to give up on you. Right. And so much of that, like I said, is, is just instinct, obviously typos, uh, you know, Oftentimes I'll get query letters that are three pages long, and really I just want a page. I want to know that you can give me the elevator pitch. Uh, so if it's anything is too long, I'm just not going to take time to read it. I just don't have time. I, we've got, our agency has 150 authors, and and we are looking for new authors. Last year we had 14 books from brand new authors, which I think is pretty strong for any agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So we, we are looking for new new voices. Um, but they have just really got to come to play in the sense of uh, knowing what captures our attention and knowing how to do it in a succinct way. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Oh, this is such good stuff. You guys, we're going to come right back and talk about what to look for and how to find the right agent for your book. We've already touched on that, but we want to go back. And then also the responsibilities of the author, the agent, and the publisher. We are visiting today with Greg Johnson. He's from Word com. That's wordserveliterary.com. We will come right back and hear a little bit more. Do you ever need speakers for dinners, retreats, conferences, or other women's events? Check out www.womenspeakers.com. It's the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,500 Christian women speakers, some near you, and some from every level of experience and fee range you can imagine. So you're sure to find lots of great speaker options for you and your next event over at www.womenspeakers.com. That's Women Speakers. Welcome back. This is Marnie, and I'm so excited that you're with us this afternoon. We're visiting today with Greg Johnson of WordServeLiterary.com. Greg, when you uh, when you do finally decide, okay, here's a query. I'm gonna follow up. I'm gonna get a hold of this person. Uh, how do you do it? Do you do it by mail, by phone, by email? And what is it that you typically say when you're just letting the person, the author know we might be interested in you? Well, uh, that's a good question. Uh, uh, typically what we'll do is if any of our agents see something we love, and it usually boils down to the writing, and I can say most agents will initially skip over the proposal and go straight to the writing if you've hooked them in the query, um, Typically, we'll just send an email back, say, okay, this is in review. We're very interested. Uh, you know, we'll get back with you within a week or so, uh, typically. And then we do, and then we carry on a conversation and see if this is someone we want to work with and uh, check to see if they've got some major personality disorder uh, <laughs> as best we can <laughs> in our conversation to make sure we're not taking on somebody that is going to be too challenging. And, uh, you know, nobody wants high-maintenance clients, I I just heard uh, from an agent, a well-known agent, and he dropped one of his top clients because she was just too high maintenance. He just couldn't meet any of her expectations, and so he let her go. Uh, That's pretty rare, but it happens. Uh, Nobody wants to work with somebody that uh, is wearing your phone out or your email because you just don't have time. Uh, Any good agent out there needs about 50 uh, authors who are writing pretty consistently, and naturally we want authors to feel like they're our only client and i would say most authors most most authors would feel that way but at the same point if we don't have at least that many we're we're not staying in business we're not helping anybody um get through it all so it's it's one of the reasons really 
why you have to be so picky when you're looking at the submissions. You're looking for someone who's really not going to <laughs> count on you to do all of their work. And I said it before, but I, I just can't believe how um, people can hear this and hear this and not really hear it. Uh, it's not the agent or the publisher's job to make your book great. It's your job to make your book great. And then it's their job to help it get out. And and that, that's two really different things. And so when you're when you're being so fussy and when you're having these gut instincts, when you're looking at proposals, you're really trying to weed out who is looking to you to do more than is your portion of it. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But when someone is not sure, okay, so maybe you know they're listening to you and you're like, oh, mine isn't about memoirs at all. Uh, I don't think that he'd be the right one for me. Uh, maybe they're looking up your site and they're like, yeah, no, this doesn't look like me. How does a person really go about to find the right agent then? What's what's the best way? Well, I think writer conferences are awesome. There's, you know, I don't think every state has them, but there's lots of great ones, you know, and certainly if you're a novelist, you ought to be a member of ACFW and be involved in a local chapter and go to convention every other year. You're going to meet editors and agents, and just by that, uh, you know, there's a connection that needs to happen between author and agent. Uh, believe it or not, agents work for authors. Uh, that's very true. And so when we hire, when we bring someone on, we are saying we are here to serve you. And, you know, it is sort of that help me help you uh, type of attitude. Uh, I, I definitely want an author that's come to play and uh, is going to do their homework. And it is about, you know, one in a hundred, uh, maybe one in two or three hundred sometimes, uh, who is really stands out either in their writing, their query, their platform. Um, it's really hard these days, and that's that's what we're faced uh, when we go into a publishing house. And, you know, uh, publishing houses are shrinking. we got uh, uh, Robin and Holman close their whole fiction division down, and then uh, uh, Zondervan uh, and Harper buy Thomas Nelson, and they combine their fiction departments. Now there's no, there's no more Zondervan fiction departments. And so our markets are shrinking as the as the market itself out there is shrinking. So what we have to look for is is the type of people that really want to rise to the top. Mm, that's so good. Well, let's talk about the responsibilities of the author, the agent, and the publisher. And I want to preface this with the big surprise it is for most authors <laughs> how much of the responsibility is actually going to rest on your shoulders. So let's go ahead and talk about the responsibilities of the author. Well, you know, you really hit on it several times uh, that the author is the main creator. And along with that, then, they are also uh, the person that has to have a business sense about their book. So if they just want to write what everybody else has written, uh, we probably can't help them. But if they've done their homework and research and and are really trying to fit a niche in meeting a felt need or, uh, you know, writing their story, uh, then somebody's going to listen out there. Like I said, there's a hundred agents. But an author has got to obviously complete a manuscript if they're a novelist, three or four chapters at least if they are a nonfiction person. Uh, oftentimes, if they're writing their memoir, uh, we'll need to see the whole of that as well because, again, it's it's not how you start. It really is how you finish. It's that satisfying read at the end of the deal. And then uh, an author's responsible to know that they are uh, writing to a broad market. Um, as I said at the top of the hour, uh, it is so tough to just do a niche book or a book that would be a nice-to-read book. It really must be a must-read book that has a, a broader market. Otherwise, those niche books are being self-published, which is also fine. Uh, you know, most of what I've talked about, what we've talked about today, Marnie, is for those who want to be traditionally published, those right. who want to be paid to have somebody publish their book as opposed to paying somebody uh, to publish their book. Right. And, uh, and, and so there's a big difference there. There are certain topics and certain books that will do very well self-published. Uh, you can get them up on Kindle or BarnesandNoble.com or any of these places, and then you can go to print-on-demand and print 500 at a time and, and sell them and, and maybe do pretty well. Uh, and that's often the best place to start. Uh, those that do that, oftentimes I will tell them, you know, if you sell 3,000 copies in a year on your own, uh, you're probably an author a publisher will take notice of. 
But if you've self-published and you've sold 250 copies and your mom bought 220 of those, um, that's going to be very hard for me to say, okay, this author's really come to play. They're really ready for a major publisher. I do a good amount of submissions in New York, and uh, I can tell you from lots of rejection that New York doesn't care about how good your book is. They care about how famous you are. And if you're, if you've got, I mean, they do care about the quality. Don't get me wrong, but they are looking for authors who already have a platform, who already have a built-in audience. And uh, this is specifically nonfiction and memoir. Um, and so it's just the author. Uh, their responsibility is to find markets that the publisher can sell into. The publishers. Um, well, we'll get to that in a second. Um, those are my main points on what the author can do. I think I want to add too, and that's what you can do um, before you pitch. Before you pitch, but I want to just let you know that after the book is published or during the publishing process, but especially after the book is published, you will have a lot of responsibility for the marketing. You will have yeah. to be media ready. You will have to be willing to either do your blog or like a regular submission somewhere or, or be speaking or somehow be willing to help market this book. Um, best-selling author, I love that. Uh, I think it was uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul Guy. He says, um, you know, best-selling author, the two words are best-selling, and that's because they're out there selling. <laughs> so, um, yeah. you know, these these uh, the idea that you're going to submit this book and then the publisher's going to do everything, um, it's, it's not likely that that's how your story is going to go. No, that's very true, and that gets to the next eight part there and what the what the publisher does um, these days especially publishers are printers they're good editors um, they're good packagers and they are probably what the most of what they bring to the table is distribution I mean even the shack for example sold a million copies with windblown media which is this guy just self-published it basically but it didn't sell 18 million until it got with a publisher and so distribution, if you're an author, really is your destiny. And it's so important that uh, you kind of realize what a publisher does. And conspicuously absent from what I just said was marketing. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I love publishers, and, you know, they're, they're my friends. And, you know, marketing, whether it's general market or Christian market, there's no more thankless job than a, being a marketing person, whether it's PR or as the marketing director. Uh uh, it is really hard work, and uh, the budgets are small, the hours are long, and not many people say thanks. And so I, I instruct my authors that flowers, candy, and Starbucks cards are probably your best investment in uh, sending those to your marketing people, especially that PR gal that's sending out you know stacks of books to radio stations and bloggers and all these different places. It's a boring, thankless job. Um, so what a publisher can do will will make your book look nice. They'll get it on the shelf if it's ordered. Of course, they can't put a gun to any any bookstore owner's head and say order my book. Uh, a bookstore still has to bookstore owner still has to say yes to it. And uh, and then they'll do some modicum of marketing. If you're a big name, of course, they're going to throw lots of dollars at it, and it absolutely is 80-20. 80% of the money will go to 20% of the authors, and uh, maybe more 90-10. And so they really do rely on the author to expand their net, their own networks and to at least create awareness for the book. I just I can't overestimate the, uh, or ever emphasize this enough that you have to have a plan if you want your book to do really well. You really do have to have a plan. There are those few books, um, Heaven is for Real, for example, or, you know, um, different ones. The Shack was another one. That it's just a runaway. It's just a runaway. It comes out, and and the the people who you know publish it, that was a surprise to them, and pretty soon it's picked up by a publisher who really can help them take it to the world. But more typically, if the author is not committed to the marketing of their own book, that book is not going to. Um, be in the media enough, be visible enough that bookstore owners can say, I can afford to give you shelf space because that, that real estate in my store is so valuable. I have to put the books on the shelf that are going to fly out the door. 
And if, right. if nobody's ever heard of your book, they aren't going to just walk in and ask for it. They have no, to have heard not. of it before they get to the bookstore. So they're already it, not walking in t- bookstores. Huh? Enough. They're already not you, walking in bookstores enough. Right, right, exactly. So, if we get yeah. them in the bookstore. Yeah, typically typically they're looking for a gift or, or a very specific um, niche. They're looking for something very specific. Now let's go back to what the agent does then. Okay, so what what is your role? Well, the agent is a connector. And so we're sort of the first line of uh, defense or offense, however you want to put it, for the publisher in some ways. Um, most publishers are not accepting any submissions that are unsolicited. Uh, they're looking for the agents now to uh, actually um, uh, make those publishing decisions for them. And so uh, the agent then decides as, as they everything comes in the door, we sort of decide whether it's publishing worthy and um, and so what that means is we're spending the time on the front end making sure everything's letter perfect. And so the agent does that, and the agent finds exactly what uh, um, uh, publishing partner to send it to, the exact editor who may be interested. You know, I had a book by uh, a widow not long ago. Uh, she was 31 and had a couple kids, and and uh, her husband died in her arms of sepsis just one terrible night. Um and she was doing blogging and some other things, uh, but she started writing her story, and we helped her shape it because she was just a fabulous writer, and uh, put the proposal together, and I sent it to several houses, and I just kind of knew this one editor at this one house who was a widow. Uh, his wife had died several years ago, and I knew he'd have a heart for it, and he certainly did, and of course, the writing kind of sold it, and... and uh, and so he ended up buying that and another book from me. And so I know those things. And after 20 years of working with all the publishers, I know them all. They all know me. And so uh, there's a trust level that when it comes from a re- reputable agent um, that the publisher is uh, going to make sure that they at least open it up and take a look at it. Not everything we send gets gets bought. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Um, so and the other thing we do, uh, among other things, is Negotiate a contract. Um, these days, especially with ebook rights and out of print provisions and so many little details within a contract, publishers are in the rights business, and that's fine. If they want to sign a contract and own everything, that's fine if they use it. But if they don't use it, then they lose it. And uh, they would just soon hold on to it forever because that is a valuable property, whether it's audio or foreign or dramatic rights or whatever. They're going to try to keep whatever they can. Well, most publishers are just they're publishers. They're not they're not in Hollywood. They're not doing movie options. I don't want to offer them those rights. Um, so, a good agent then will be able to make sure the contract uh, has a has a balanced feel to it. Um, and then just handling, you know, the myriad of things that can go wrong between an author and a publisher, and it's legion. I mean. Uh, Somebody's nose can get bent out of shape pretty easily over time. And having an agent in there, I just tell my authors, you're always the happy author. Uh, you know, if I have to wear the black hat, they, I don't mind doing it. That's my job. Because uh, they still have to deal with me. But if, if you keep, if you go back to them and you're unhappy about this or that, and you're sending scathing emails to your editor or your marketing director, you know, they've got as many choices that I, as I do every year. And they'll just choose to not work with you again. And now your career is over, and now you get a reputation as a difficult author. Let your agent do all that. Um, yeah. That's what he's there for. And yeah. I think, you know, I would say most good agents, you know, one of the things they have on their agency agreement is is a career building. Uh, we want agents, I mean, we want authors who uh, will listen to us as we help shape their career and uh, choosing the next best projects. You know, it's not rocket science. It is instinct, and, and I'm, it's... I wouldn't call it educated guessing, but uh, we've been around long enough to know uh, what ideas have legs and others that don't. And uh, so I think an author uh, needs to be looking to a partner. And, you know, we're a long-term partner. When I bring an author on, I never fire them, (laughs) literally. uh, You know, I will stay with somebody for years and years and years until they're done, until they tell me, you know, I guess I'm done. Um, when I take someone on, we are with them. We want to see them grow because we just don't take very many people on. It's just, anyway. Hmm. 
So now, if um, if someone is new to new to publishing, and they're saying, you know, well, I think I know that the publishers like will sometimes give a give an advance royalty or something like that to an author, but do I have to pay for an agent or how does the how does the money work? Can you just give what a standard or maybe even what your own firm does as far as the standard sure. um, agreement goes? Yeah. Um, any agent uh, that's reputable will not charge you a dime for anything ever, uh, unless you know you want them to FedEx something to London or something like that. That may come back to you. Or, uh, they work on a commission basis, and so it's 15%. That's the standard fee across the board. Um, and we don't get paid till you get paid. And so that's that's another reason why we're very selective. Is that we kind of know what we can sell and what we can't. And we've got to be working on things that will help us stay in business. And so that's typically what an agent will do. Uh, Some agencies have term agreements, you know, uh, sign this and and you're with me for two years. And, and, uh, you know, any idea you've given me is my idea that I can represent. You know, they're pretty militant and hardcore about it all. Our agency is, you know, 90-day opt-out. we don't put your hand behind your friend, your your back, and say be our friend, even though you don't want to be. It's either working or it's not. And uh, you know, when a when an author leaves the company, if we've signed a contract with a with a publisher, you know, we'll continue to participate with that. But if they've got other ideas that we haven't pitched, those are their ideas. If a book comes back and it's out of print, it's their book, not my book. Um, so every agency is different, so that's always good to check their agreement out. Awesome. This hour has just flown by, and as the last thing I want you to share what people can really expect, but before you do that, I want you guys to know that you can learn more about Greg Johnson and about his literary agency over at wordserveliterary.com. And uh, like you said, you know, he's got over there, you can ask for a template, a submission template, so that you can make sure to answer all the questions, to get everything together before you even submit also, Greg, if they um, if they want to mention that they took this training, I'm sure that that will you know that will that will help you to know that they were paying attention and doing something sure. in advance. Um, I, I know that I know that so much of what you shared here should be common sense, but it really isn't. If you haven't been through it before, it's all new and it's all it's all a lot. It's a lot to take in, and so I encourage you. Also, he has mentioned during the program. You know, read a book on how to do a submission or a proposal. Um, read some books on how to market a book, and and just ask yourself: Is this something I really want to do? It's one thing to write a book; it's a whole other thing to have it published and have it be successful out there. And you know, there's there's many of you listening that are thinking: You know, I am really rethinking this. I'm not sure now that I want to go that direction, and that's really okay. There's ways now for you to actually publish a book. Get you know, get a hundred copies. Give them to all your friends for Christmas and call it good. You know, you don't have to go this way. There's so many choices out there for us now. So I think that this training will help you to identify kind of where your book is in your mind and what future it has. And I, I think that would be helpful for you, Greg. What should an author really expect? Well, they really need to decide in their head, and you kind of hit on it. They need to decide whether they have really come to play. Um, Publishing is really hard these days with retail down and uh, kind of this transition between book and ebooks. Um, uh, the amount of agents out there, everybody is just looking for somebody who is a career writer, who's committed to their craft, who has broad market ideas, who really wants to be able to uh, promote their work as well. I mean, really gone are the days when you could just write your book and send it off to a publisher and they do all the rest of the work. Uh, those days are long gone. It's a partnership now between author, agent, publisher, retailer. Uh, all those things are so important. And so they you really have to count the cost. And I, I think you get a good view if you haven't gone to a writer's conference. Do one or two or three. And you'll start hearing the same things over and over again. And then you'll really be able to decide whether this is the best thing for you. It's hard work. Such great advice. Greg, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Okay, you have a great rest of your day. And everybody, you have a great day, too. You can learn more about Greg over at wordserveliterary.com. And we'll see you back here next week. Bye-bye.